welcome to the Mind Your Leadership podcast. I'm Karen Silk. In this podcast, I will have conversations with thought leaders, CEOs, and managers from various organizations about leading mindfully. We will learn from experienced leaders how they implement mindful leadership in the day-to-day organizational culture, and we will gain tools and skills. So stay with us. Hello. Today, I will speak with Rotem Katsir. Rotem is a former senior HR executive and a consultant at some very successful startups like Forter, Honeybook, and some less successful ones. She later served as Pitango VC's head of people, where she led investment due diligence process and worked with portfolio entrepreneurs. While at Pitango, Rotem studied coaching and continued to consult external entrepreneurs, Rotem currently coaches startups founders as a private practice helping them keep their focus, emotional well-being through the startup journey. She also spends two days a week as an organization coach at Simply, formerly JoyTunes. In this episode, we will speak how in this active journey, entrepreneurs and founders can increase their focus, well-being, and overcome the various challenges that they encounter during the journey. So stay with us. So, Rotem, it's a pleasure that you're with us today. Looking pleasure forward. being here. And Rotem, you know, we know for, for, like I thought about it, like a decade, right? So usually I know that you were working companies, VP of HR in startups, in various startups, as I introduced you. And actually now you're embarked on a new journey, right, as an entrepreneur coach. So I'll be happy to understand, first of all, how did you become one? And what does it mean, an entrepreneur coach? Okay. I'll start from what is an entrepreneur coach, and then I'll tell you all about how I got there, and we'll try to tie it up together. Um, so entrepreneur coach is, is basically, I, I, I like calling it a founder coach also because it's easier just pronouncing it. I, I think that a founder coach is one of the pillars of the support system of the founder, is basically someone that helps the founder uh, throughout their the journey of building a startup, it's really it's being often confused or or alternated by other names such as like a mentor or an advisor, a consultant. I don't know too many people. I think if you go online and you look for a founder coach by the name, I don't know how many of these you'll find. I tried looking, I couldn't find too many. But I think it's not something that I invented. I think it's just it's a subset of executive coaching. Uh, I think that the essence is about the coaching and not the mentoring or consulting, because in coaching, the answers come from the person being coached. It's not about my experience, my knowledge, everything that I come with, although it's a great advantage, but it's not about me. It's about the person. But I, I realized the difference between the two as I went from consulting to coaching. So how I started out. As you said, uh, yeah, I started in HR. My first job actually wasn't even in HR. It was, uh, it was investment banking. And I was there for about four and a half years doing like all kinds of investment projects with Barclays Bank in, in London. And after I finished my MBA, I suddenly realized that what I liked about it wasn't the investment. It wasn't about the money. It was about growing people. 
and I built a whole business unit and all I did was like hire great people and make them succeed at what they were doing. I didn't know anything about investment itself and I didn't care about it too much. So when I finished my MBA, I suddenly came to realize there was a whole concept and a whole professional uh, area called HR. And I radically shifted into it. I decided to leave everything that I was doing and focus in HR. My entire career, ever since I did investment, was in startups. You know how people define themselves either makers or fixers? So I I was definitely a maker. Like I realized I was definitely makers. I'll just explain like makers are the ones who invent from scratch. They build something from nothing. Fixers are the ones who come in and fix all the makers wrongdoings Thanks. and problems. Yeah. And, and mistakes. So I'm not a fixer. I'm definitely a maker. And I love going into companies and like building things from, from nothing and kind of creating the reality to which, you know, we hire great people and build great companies. And then I got to Forder. And I think that Forder was the most, I think, substantial role for me because it was the first time where I actually got to work very, very closely with the founding team and the executive team, seeing and being an essential part of the growth of the company. I mean, we've seen everything. Uh, I joined when we were 25 people and uh, went through periods where we couldn't like raise more money and we we're thinking what to do with it. And then through great success, hiring the wrong people, hiring them the right people, finding out all the, the mistakes that startups usually do. And after three and a half years there, when I was uh, the last year I spent as a GM of Israel, which was a great role as well, I uh, realized like my kids were big enough to tell me what they thought about me not being home for 10 years. So I said, okay, this is time for a rest and I'm going to take a break and I'm going to see what I wanted to do. I don't think I wanted to be an executive anymore. I took a break. It uh, lasted for a month and then I started consulting again and I was looking for something to grow my professional toolbox. And I wanted, uh, and I was looking for different programs. And then I got, I, I heard about emotion. I went to hear what it was. It was a, a school for coaching. I fell in love with it and I said, okay, this is something that really resonates with the way that I see the world and it's a whole method and, and outlook about, about life and what can I do with it? And then I said, okay, I'll take the coaching class. I, don't, I didn't for a second want to be a coach. It wasn't something that was in my path. I was like, this is just expanding my toolbox. Um, at the time, I got an offer from Pitango. I joined Pitango as um, part-time head of people for them. I worked with the portfolio and the entrepreneurs. And then it was just working with entrepreneurs. I, I was a part of the due diligence process. I was looking at what investors were looking into when deciding who to invest. What did they look for, for in founders? What did they look for in CEOs? I was part of these decisions. And doing the coaching at the time, then COVID hit. When COVID hit, it was a, like a game changer. Everything was so turbulent and pushed everyone around. My work with entrepreneurs became even tighter uh, because no one knew what they were doing. And if I said consulting at the time, consulting is based on my experience, what I was doing and what I knew. Like I haven't done COVID before. I don't know what, what it looks like, what people should do in these situations. 
So I had to employ everything that I knew about myself and my gut feeling and the way that I understand the human operating system and help the entrepreneurs work from there. And that's when I first realized I was applying things from my coaching class into my everyday work. And this is what I've been doing for two and a half years ever since. I since then moved from Pitango to, to Joytunes, uh, who are called Simply today. And it's simply they decided to have an organizational coach within the company who does this with the employees. So this is a long story of how I got here today. <laughs> Sorry, I hope this all makes sense. Amazing story. And uh, we can feel your passion. And you know, it's interesting. I want to reflect back to you what I heard during the process that you told us about as an entrepreneur, because at the end of the day, I think you're an entrepreneur coach because you embarked in you, a new journey of your own entrepreneurship. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because you had a milestone. You had a lot of milestones along the journey that you said. First of all, what I hear that your career unfolded. You didn't set your goal where you're heading and how you get there, but it unfolded along the way. And you... Yeah. You adopted new skills, new opportunities, and this is how you grew involved. So it was interesting. And another milestone that I heard is when you paused and, you know, you listen to your kids telling you that you are not enough at home and you ask yourself, I believe tough questions. Am I in the right place? Do I want to continue be, being fully at work or work-life balance is something that it's important? Integration, okay? I know that balance is not a good work nowadays, but yeah. to integrate in a better way for my professional life and personal life, is it important for me? And I guess you said yes, because you decided to change your career path. So it's interesting because this is for me, you know, being mindful is the ability to pause, to reflect, to ask ourselves questions, to enable space to something new to emerge, to ourselves to evolve to a better version of ourselves, to bring our different uh, skills and abilities. And the last thing that I want to refer to, you know, I always struggle with the word coach because to be honest, I always work from a a place of apparently now you call it coaching because I, you know, in Hebrew, they call it a trainer. And I really didn't like this word because I never taught people what to do, even that I was organization consultant for um, 20 years. I never came from this place. I always came from the place you are talking about, the ability to create the space and ask questions and enabled the solution to emerge because, you know, we can't as consultant, as an HR, and I think as assistant, we can't know the answer for the entrepreneur, for the CEO, for the manager, right? We can create the right. space and help him connect deeper to his knowledge, to his wisdom and think together. And then the solution will emerge between the two of us, right? So now when you call it coaching, okay, I can go with it because I honestly <laughs> antagonism to this word, you know, so. No, I feel you. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I don't like the word coach. I don't know how to use it right. I must say like, uh, but I couldn't find a better, like I can't find a, a better phrase for it or a name for it. The, you know, when I used to do uh, HR consulting, my CEOs used to say, this is such bad branding. You need to find a better, like a better name for it because you are, you're doing such an important work and just calling it HR consultant. So I feel the same about coaching and, you know, there are so many, like there's such a bad brand for coaching. Uh, but I, I think that's something that's on us to change. And maybe we can like, you know, we need to figure out. Li- yeah. Figure out, lead by example. I don't know. <laughs> Find a way yeah. to make it 
sound better. So now that we are aligned and we understand that we are talking about the same thing, you know, when you consult founders, what should a startup founder seek in a coaching or in this uh, service, actually? And why should they? Yeah, well, um, it would be an amazing situation if they actually sought coaching, okay? Because they usually they don't. <laughs> and what happens is um, they get to coaching Uh, out of two, I think, main triggers. One of the main triggers is the loneliness, okay? When the founder is feeling overwhelmed by what they're going through and the startup journey is, is hell, I really think that they, they must be twisted in some way to choose that out of their, you know, own, uh, for their own path. But when they go through it, it's very, very lonely. They can't express their doubts. They can't express their fears. They need to hold everything for everyone. Investors, co-founders, executives, employees, they need to be that like strong pillar that doesn't bend. And if they express their worries or doubts, then everybody should worry. So that person deciding to lead a startup has to hold everything and deal with whatever comes their way And if they share it, it will have like strong repercussions. So they can't really share it with anyone, even their life partner. I mean, if they brought home every single doubt and fear that they have and started talking about everything that they're dealing with, they'd, they'd get divorced soon enough because it's really hard to hold everything. And even the partner needs to know that, you know, sometimes it will get better. There's a reason why we're making all the sacrifice It's not in vain. So they don't have anyone to talk to. But that's not what makes them seek the coaching. What makes them seek the coaching is usually they confront or tackle some hard decision, some uh, tough situation with someone in their company, with an investor, with a co-founder, with an executive, with an employee that's very important to the company. Something happens that shakes them and they... realize at that point there must be a better way for me to deal with this situation maybe I should seek some help and then you know they either talk to their fellow uh, entrepreneurs and ask them who they're talking to or they're talk they will talk to their investor if they have a good relationship they'll seek uh, someone to talk to but we, we can talk about coaching specific and psychic coaching which I'm doing but it doesn't really matter what type of emotional support you're seeking as long as you you get one. Someone who can hold space, as you said, and be an outlet for all those things that you can't tell anyone and that you can't say any, like holding space is bringing all those, all that content that I talked about without being judged, without feeling that, oh my God, if I say like, why did I choose this? Am I, am I the right person like for this job? Um, did I choose my co-founders right? I want a place where I can say these things without someone saying, think. oh, they, yeah, they, yeah, like they're not, if they're saying it, they're probably not fit for it or something of the sort. I think that in the space that we create in coaching sessions, we're able to put like to air these thoughts and put them on place and then, and then explore them and actually go and dive deeper and say, where do they come from? What fears are underlying all these things? And can I look inside and be very, very honest with myself and see what's guiding me, what's guiding my decisions? And decision making is the hardest thing that like that CEO needs to do. And it's like 
one of the first thing that like investors look into when they look to invest is this person able to, to make hard decisions? And we are avoiding hard decisions all the time. So these sessions are, are exactly where, where we deal with these things. You know, you talked about a few things that resonate within me. First of all, I agree with you that we need this safe space to bring ourselves fully and not feel judged and reflect upon our decisions. However, I understand the intensity in the startup companies. I think also we are heading towards, I don't think we're heading, we are in the midst of this transformation, but also being able as CEOs and managers to show up vulnerably and say, you know, this is the reality I'm dealing nowadays. I didn't figure out yet exactly how we're doing. I'd be happy to hear your thoughts because this is the way we're thinking, but it's not, I don't have a coherent decision yet. So what do you think about it? Because I know you need to have courage. You need to have a self-esteem in order to do it, to be vulnerable. I know it's not something common yet, but I think it's a crucial element to engage. I think human beings, because it can be investors, employees, customers. At the end of the day, if they can connect to our humanity. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, I don't talk about, you know, I, I spoke in one of my episodes with Dr. Carol Robin. She t- talked about, I don't remember the definition she said, but it, it, I liked the way she said, be authentic, but handle it. You don't need to be all out there and say, you know, right, I don't know right. anything. I can't figure out anything. I'm lost. No, this is not being vulnerable. Exactly. Being vulnerable is bringing parts of you and sharing them and deciding how to phrase it and put it. So what do you think about this theme of vulnerability? And Yeah, well, you know, I love it. Basically, I love the vulnerability piece. I've always believed in it. And throughout my HR years, I've encouraged managers to be vulnerable. And I was very uh, outspoken about like how important it is to be vulnerable in the workplace. When working with CEOs, it's tricky, okay? Because there's a fine line between being vulnerable and, as you said, being all out, bringing my whole self to the company, which is probably not the smartest thing you can do. And being all that haba haba, you know, I'm that, you know, I don't know, Neanderthal kind of uh, know-it-all, I'm always confident. No, they shouldn't be in either like extreme because it's not healthy. It reminds me of one of the conversations I had with one of the CEOs that I coached. We talked about what type of a CEO he, he wants to be. We talked about vulnerability. And it was, at first, it was kind of strange to him because people want me to be the strong one. People are looking at me. They want me to be the the confident person in the room saying, listen, we can do anything. We can go ahead. But also I asked him, so who are your role models? You know, is it Elon Musk? Is it Bill Gates? Is it, I don't know, Steve Jobs? These guys you can't, you want someone you can relate to. You can't relate to someone who's all that and very far removed from you. If you want your people engaged in the company, you want to show them that they can relate to you and you can't, they won't relate to you if you're not vulnerable. You know, they won't relate to you if you're not saying that you make mistakes and sometimes you're uncertain of, of the things that you like, decisions that you make. And sometimes uh, you're not sure of things and you you can say things with disclaimers. It's like putting yourself out there is really, really important to create the connection. Otherwise they will view that you as a leader that's too far removed and, and the engagement won't be as strong. 
So we constantly, we talk about being vulnerable and also being vulnerable with your boardroom, like in the boardroom with your investors, how, like how you play that game. You want to make a connection and, and, and create certain intimacy where you can share emotions, but you still need to make them, con- I think the key is actually making them confident that you make it, you'll find the solution, even though you you don't know it yet, or we're struggling or we're testing things out, we'll find it. And we have what it takes to make it like, make it big. It's a fine line. Interesting. Otim, what are the, some other tools that you teach founders in your sessions? So there's many of them actually. <laughs> I think that I, we, we didn't really talk about, about such a, but such a, the method for coaching is, is about creating freedom and creating freedom is, it sounds very big and, and, and sexy, but it's actually, it's actually learning to give yourself that split of a second to think before you react, because what happens to us in the day to day is we face so many challenges. We have so many triggers and based on our DNA and array of experiences as, as children, as growing up, we build um, who we are today and how we show up in the world. And when we're facing something that triggers us, like somebody said something to me or uh, disrespected me or dismissed something that I said, the emotional reaction causes to go to our like default reactions. If some, some, somebody says something hurtful to me, then I would either get defensive or be aggressive or answer. And these react, these immediate reactions are usually not very effective. So they, they can cause us to escalate and, and go to places where we don't want to be. So what we work on in, in the sessions m- many times is trying to recognize what happened to me when somebody said something to me. Like if my co-founder came up to me and told me, Listen, that that meeting, you you weren't yourself. You weren't like I, I thought you should have been. You should have been more uh, confident or more aggressive or more uh, forceful with someone. And I'm taking it as like, oh my god, he just he just told me something very bad. I'm not good enough, or that triggers something. If I can recognize the feeling, it's just it's a sensa- it's a physical sensation before anything. And then the mind interprets the situation and the emotion comes from the combination of these two. Then if I recognize the sensation, I can expect what's coming and I know what, you know, what is my automatic reaction? I can stop there and I can say, wait, just a second, take a breath. Okay. Now you calmed the somatic like experience, you calmed it down. And now what is the best way for me to answer? Like what is not my default reaction? What is the most effective way for me to answer to this specific trigger right now? This is something that we do all the time in our work. Like my work with the the CEOs, they face these things all the time. They react certain, and they don't know why, you know, he said something, I said something, and then it escalated. And I don't know what happened there and how we got to this point. When we trace back what happened in the situation, they see how they reacted and they can reflect and see, okay, I, I, I could have handled this better. So this is what we do, like try to deconstruct what happened there physically, emotionally, and mentally, and then train the body to react differently. And training the body is just about, is just about taking that, recognizing the feeling, 
taking a deep breath and allowing yourself to react differently. So this is like one very major tool that we work with. This is actually, for me, it's, this is mindfulness, is the ability to create the space between the stimulation and the response. Exactly. To choose our behavior freely. Otherwise, we are yeah. acting upon automatic behavior. So you say, actually, what are you inviting them is to be mindful, to create the space, to tune in, to connect to their feelings and sensations, to see what they are telling them and to work with it and to choose how to act in a situation, seeing the context and at the same time being connected to their own experience. So this is creating exactly. freedom, actually. And, and I think, yeah, and exactly. And creating the freedom comes from, from realizing, from recognizing the sensation, because this is the body, the body's way of giving you a cue. Something is happening to you right now, okay? And this something is maybe I stop breathing. Maybe I feel hot in the head. Maybe I start sweating. I don't know. Something happens to me. When I recognize that, I can stop. Okay. And then I can be mindful of what's happening to me. And this is what, like a lot of it is what we teach. And it's, it's, it's so, it's such a strange world for them. And you know, you work with a lot of uh, executives and you know, sometimes it's not natural for them to connect to their bodies, to connect to their feelings, connect to their thoughts. They need to work on it. So this is something we do together. But our sessions, it's funny because our sessions are not all about, okay, so how does your body feel? It's usually, okay, so what happened and how did you react? And what are you doing to make that different and to make the next experience that you're fa- you'll be facing different? So I think this is mostly about that. If listeners uh, want to embrace these tools and, you know, to start adopting it in the day-to-day, what would you offer them? to do differently beside having you as a coach. (laughs) (laughs) If I could teach anyone that I meet to stop and breathe, I think that would be the best tool. But that's, that's, I I can understand it's not natural to many people. As I mentioned, one of the things that, one of the other tools that we do is, um, is choosing how you want to show up. It's, it, it happened to me with so many people. It's like, okay, I have this big presentation that I need to make to, to pitch to investors or to do it in all hands in front of the entire company. And these things that throw you off, I mean, as, as a person, it's usually not, not a lot of people like to stand in front of crowds and, and present or to have very crucial meetings who will determine uh, the future of the company. So we prepare for these situations and preparing for this situation is not about the what, what are you going to say? It's about the how it's about how do you show up? Who do you want to be? Who did, who will they meet when they see you? Okay. And we do that beforehand. And it's funny. I was uh, leading a CEO forum at uh, Vertex VC the other week. And we talked about this. We talked about handling tough conversations, which is the single most, uh, I think, topic that worries founders. And we talked about, okay, you're, you're going in into a tough conversation. How do you want to be? And they talk about it. They say, well, I want to be calm. I want to be assertive. I want to be uh, nice. I don't want this to be aggressive. I want to be pleasant to the other person. And then I ask them, how does it Look, in reality, if I see you from a side, how will I know that you're calm and pleasant and assertive? And we we visualize what it looks like. And then they can see themselves within the situation 
And if they stay that way, that, that way, the conversation will, will go as best as, as they could. I think one of the hardest things for them to understand is that they can't control everything. Okay, they can't control the outcome of the conversation. All they can control is who they are within that specific situation, what they're saying and how they show up. If they do that perfectly, then whatever the other person will interpret, decide, think, feel is not within their control. It's the, it's the other person's you know, side. So they can't control the outcome of it, but they control who they are. And if they're doing it the best that they can, then this is the maximum they can get. And I think understanding that allows them to go into these tough conversations with less worries and less apprehension, and they can be bring their whole selves into that situation better. So amazing. You're helping them to actually be proactive, to take ownership of their own uh, behavior and actions. And to let go of the consequences because we can't control everything, right? And exactly. this is something that we need to embrace as individuals and as leaders and managers that we can't control the results of our conversation. We can bring right. ourselves in the best way that we want to show up and enable things to unfold. And this connects to the beginning as I reflected your vision and your uh, path that it unfolded, right? So we need to listen to ourselves, to the clues in the environment, to other people and from this place, uh, move forward and from a place of heading nowhere we're heading but also open-minded to what's in the situation and like a dance between these two enable the new and the right and the creative solution to emerge otherwise we actually right. making more of the same and not creating and not innovating right amazing right we can continue for hours yeah <laughs> definitely before we need to wrap up i want to ask you if there's any question that i didn't ask that you want to talk about well, I think uh, just because I spend a lot of my time, um, I think, advocating for uh, emotional support for founders, I think that it's important to, for me to say that I think that driving founders to seek that support will, first and foremost, I think, come from investors because they have the money and the power. And if they say to their entrepreneurs, listen, you need to take care of yourself. I want to know that you have that emotional support, then the entrepreneur will say, okay, it's it's a legitimate thing to do. And I have the support of my investors. Maybe I'll go do it. And I think it comes from there. I think 90% of, of the people that I coach come from the VCs, from the investors. They came to me through there, uh, which is an amazing thing. And I think that's where it should come from. Also, I have a vision that the question of, what is your support network will be part of the due diligence for VCs. And that's very important to me personally. So whoever embraces that, I'm rooting for them. Wow. I love <laughs> it. Amazing. Well, Amy, if uh, people want to find you to assist you as a coach, how can they find you? Through LinkedIn, mainly, uh, Rotem Kazir. I'm I'm a Kazir without a T because there are three of us in Israel with a T. So I started, I decided to stand out. So Rotem Kazir, and I'm like everywhere. So, and through maybe through VCs, I don't know. Uh, depends who's investing in you. Rotem, it was really a great talk and a lot of uh, wisdom you brought to us. So thank you thank for all you. your time and for joining. It was my, my pleasure. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. You're invited to subscribe to our podcast in order to know when we upload a new episode and follow us on social media. Thank you for listening. Until next time, take care and bye-bye.